Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. invite you to take your copies of the scripture this morning and open to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12 is where we'll be again this morning, the first 28 verses. As we turn to Exodus 12, I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 2, which says this, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Does that describe you this morning? You say, I want to know God. I want to search after what he would say, like I would search for silver, like I would search for hidden treasures, that you would call out for it, that you would raise your voice. What would you say? God, I need you to instruct me. I need you to teach me. I need you because left to myself, the only way is uh, folly, the only way is foolishness. So may that be our hearts this morning, that we call out for insight and raise our voice for understanding, making our ears attentive and inclining our hearts to understanding. Would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning from the book of Exodus Chapter 12, the first 28 verses. When I get done reading these 28 verses, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and together we will say thanks be to God because we are thankful for God's word. It's a gift to us, is it not? Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt this month, shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, 
You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening." For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you, and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
Father, what we have not, give us. What we know not, teach us. And what we are not, make us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How many times have you heard or said the following phrases? If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. How many times do I have to repeat myself? How many times have I told you, what am I, a broken record? Sometimes there can be nothing more frustrating than to have to repeat yourself again, especially if you are a parent. It would perhaps be ideal if we never had to repeat ourselves, never had to say something again, which we had already said. Why does repetition sometimes get a bad rap? We think of it as tiring, it's exhausting to have to say the same thing again. We think of it as a waste of time. If I have to say it again, it doesn't get us anywhere. We're not moving ahead. How often are we all about progress? And it seems like if we have to repeat it, we're not progressing, moving forward. We want to find that which is new and that which is exciting. Repeating the old does not help us. So often we think. Advertisers, however, have a different view of repetition. They love it. They see it as necessary because they want to lodge something into your brain and into your mind so that you remember it. There are things that are lodged in your brain and your mind right now that you don't even know that they're there until I conjure them up. Let's take a test this morning for a moment. See if you can finish some of these. Some are a little on the older side. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Rice-a-roni. You forgot the dings. Ding, ding. I remember, I remember, I was thinking about that this morning. I remember I was four years old hearing that jingle. I remember the house I was in. I remember the room I was in when I heard it. I don't even need to say words. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. How is it that you know all of these things? Yeah, commercials, right? Is it because you are dedicated to Alka-Seltzer? Is it because your pantry is stocked full with rice-a-roni? Is it because you love McDonald's? You might not have used Alka-Seltzer in years. You may never have eaten a box of rice-a-roni. You not, may not be a frequent patron of the Golden Arches. But these were repeated over and over and over in your life. And with repetition, 
perhaps a catchy tune, they stuck. And now there is nothing that you can do to forget them or to unremember them, if you will. Advertisers have capitalized on something in human nature and the way people think. Repetition makes a difference. God, however, is no slick marketer or cutting-edge advertiser. Yet he is the one who has made us this way. He has made it. So repetition is something important in our lives. It is necessary in our lives. God says you need repetition in your life. You need something that is going to be used to influence you. Now, repetition could be bad. It could influence one away from the Lord, but it could also be used for the good in leading people to the Lord. And if you've read the Bible much, you will discover that God is the God who repeats himself. He continues to say the same things over and over and over again. Why? Why does God repeat himself? Because he wants his word to be lodged in your mind and in your heart so that you never forget it, so that you can't unremember it. He knows his word is truth, and he knows his word sanctifies. It changes us. And so could it be that we would see we need repetition in our lives, repetition of the truth. We need to hear it over and over and over again. God knows we need to hear it continually, and such repeating is good for us. The 20th century Welsh preacher Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, quote, repetition is the very art of teaching. Wise teachers always repeat themselves. There are certain things that can never be repeated too often, close quote. He even goes on and make a comment that good preachers repeat themselves and repeat themselves often. And so I'm reminded, I'm not looking to say something new to you this morning. I want to say the same thing to you again over and over. This is the heart of gospel ministry. This is the heart of gospel preaching. It is proclaiming the same gospel message over and over and over again and saying it a thousand different ways. Underlining this need of repetition in our lives is also the response to repetitive teaching or preaching. How do you respond to repetition? And what does it say about the one who would respond this way? I already know that. I've already been taught this. I don't need to be taught it again because I already know it. If repetition is the art of teaching and if you are unwilling to listen to the repetition, doesn't that reflect on your unwillingness to be taught? 
So how do you respond to repetition? Is it boring? Is it uninspiring? Are you unwilling to listen? Or do you say, I need to hear it again. I need to hear it afresh. I need to hear it because I know that that repetition is going to make a difference in my life. That God's going to use that to change me, to sanctify me, to make me more like Jesus. In our verses in Exodus, there is repetition. The Lord relays his message to Moses, and then Moses relays that same message to the Israelites. And we read and hear the similarities. But there's also repetition that's built into the Lord's Passover. It's commanded by the Lord, and it's commanded to be celebrated over and over and over again, to be repeated This is an event that's established by the Lord, and I wonder if sometimes how often we equate repetition with that, with that which is rote or routine. If we have to repeat something, we ask, why are we doing this? And it can become rote, and it can become routine. And we often, if we're honest, associate rote, routine, with spiritual dryness. Or, even worse, spiritual deadness. Why is that? We don't want to be too ritualistic. Why would you say that? Because we equate ritualism with spiritual deadness. The problem is that often it becomes spiritually dry and spiritually dead because we lose the significance, the meaning, and the power of why we are doing what it is that we are doing. The Lord's Passover teaches us, and it is a major milestone in the life of the people of God. It is not to be forgotten. It is not to be neglected. It is to be repeated and remembered and to be done over and over and over again. And that's where we are led to this morning. If you look on your bulletin there, four points. The last two weeks, I was able to make it through one through three, and so today, Lord willing, I will make it through four. But number four The Lord's Passover commemorates God's protection of His people through His presence. The Lord's Passover commemorates God's protection of His people through His presence. The event that took place at the Passover was not to be forgotten. This was to have a central role in the life of the people of God. Every year they were to come back to it again and again and again. And it was there, as they came back to it, that they were to stand in awe of God and of what He had done. They were to remember the salvation that He had provided. They were to worship the Lord again for the work that He had done in this event. This event, done every year, Each year was to evoke worship from God's people. 
And not only was it to remember what the Lord had done, but it was to give them confidence of what their God would continue to do and how he would continue to act on behalf of his people. Do you see how remembering what the Lord had done in the past had direct effect on how the people lived in the present, here and now? Isn't that what you need today? To remember what Jesus Christ has done so that you can be confident today. So that your confidence can be in God today, knowing that, okay, the God who did this, the God who saved me by sending his own son to die on the cross is the God who will continue to work in my life, on me, and through me today. And that he will continue to work in this world according to his good purposes. That's what we pray for, isn't it? God, your will be done. The Israelites were to remember the Passover with a meal. They were to have and replicate this Passover meal of this lamb, this unleavened bread, and these bitter herbs again and again. But there was another thing, another remembrance that they would have. We see this in verses 14 through 20. What becomes known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And you can see here at the beginning of verse 14, this day shall be for you what? A memorial day. Remember this. And it was to be a feast to the Lord, a feast to worship Him. And it was to remain throughout their generations, a statute forever. How long did the Lord want them to remember this event? Forever. He never wanted them to forget it. And it began with the Passover meal. This feast of unleavened bread, it started with the Passover meal, but it lasted for seven days after that Passover meal. And on the first day of the feast, the first day of the feast, we are told, is the 14th day of the month. Remember, that 14th day was when the Israelites were to kill the Passover lamb, to prepare the meal, and to eat the meal. So that was all to happen the 14th day. And now, this feast of unleavened bread happens the 14th day of the first month. And they were supposed to eat the unleavened bread for seven days until the 21st day of the month. They were to remove all of the leaven out of their houses. Leaven is that yeast agent that would cause dough to rise. It would make the bread nice and fluffy. The leaven, usually a portion of dough from a former mixture that would be added to a new batch, kneaded into it so that that yeast agent would then hide and disperse in that whole lump of dough. And it was, would rise and then they would bake it. But now all the leaven was to be removed from the houses. There was to be no leavened bread eaten from the first day until the seventh day. And they were to do no work on the first day, and they were to do no work on the seventh day. And on the first day and the last day, they were also to hold a holy assembly. They were to get together 
And they were to worship the Lord together. The only type of work that was to be done was work that would prepare your next meal. Prepare what you need to eat on that first and on that last day. So let's think for a moment. Why did the Lord command this feast? Why did the Lord forbid the eating of leavened bread? Why did he say, for seven days, the only kind of bread that you can eat is unleavened bread? Well, I think there are two reasons. So first, later on in Exodus 12, verses 34 and 39, we we read the following. Verse 34, So the people took their dough before it was leavened, kneading their bowls, Uh, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. Then verse 39, And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. So the first reason was to remind them of the manner in which they left Egypt. They had to leave so quickly, it says that they were thrust out. They couldn't wait for their dough to rise, so all that they could make was unleavened bread. How quickly and how decidedly had the final plague been that after so much time, Pharaoh had refused to let them go. Now with this final plague, there was no time to waste. They had to get out. Their time of slavery under Pharaoh had ended And so eating this unleavened bread was to remind them of how quickly they would have to have left Egypt. But I think there's also a second reason why they were to celebrate this feast of unleavened bread. And it's found right here in our verses. You see there where it says, verse 16, on the first day you shall hold a holy assembly and on the seventh day a holy assembly. Assembly. And it's right here that I believe there is a connection between the action of the people eating the unleavened bread as a demonstration of who these people are. So they ate only unleavened bread because that was a representation of who they were as God's people. As they held these holy assemblies, it was a declaration that these People are holy people before God. They are a people who are set apart. They are a people completely and entirely devoted to God. And so their eating of unleavened bread was to be a reflection, a visible reminder of their holiness before a holy God. They ate to remember that they were a separated people, those devoted to God and to God alone. And what a statement they were making to Pharaoh and the Egyptians and eventually the whole world, they were stating that they no longer served Pharaoh. They no longer served the Egyptians. They no longer served anyone else. They served God and God alone. He is the holy, holy, holy Lord. And so they were to be his holy people. And so they assembled as his holy assembly at the beginning and at the end of this feast to remember whose they were, who they belonged to, and who they were as a people of God. I also say this because of the punishment. It says twice, the same thing once in verse 15. 
For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be, what? Cut off from Israel. Or verse 19, if anyone eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or whether he is a native of the land. In other words, it doesn't matter who it is among the people of Israel. If you eat leavened bread, you are to be cut off, cut out of the covenant people of God, expelled, excommunicated. Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Just because you ate some leavened bread? Does God have to be so mean? That's what the world is tempted to ask. And that's the way the world is tempted to think. But this is how seriously the Lord takes the holiness of His people. This is why sin and uncleanness cannot be tolerated among the people of God. They are to be different from the world. These are not just any people. These are a precious people. These are distinguished people from the world. These are God's people. If these people were to break from the holy assembly and eat leavened bread, they would in essence be saying, I would rather be like the world. I would rather stay in Egypt. I would rather be enslaved than be redeemed and brought into fellowship with the good and holy God of the universe. Heaven forbid, perish the thought. Yet, how many Christians might rather look indistinguishable from the world? They don't want to stick out too much. They don't want to be too holy. They don't want to be too radical. They don't want to be too weird in the world's eyes. Newsflash, we are weird. That's why Jesus says that anyone who follows him must, must deny himself daily, take up his cross, and follow him. You want to follow Jesus? You're going to have to die sacrifice yourself and identify with his cross which is foolishness to the world remember says the lord remember you are a holy people a people of my own possession a people who are set apart by me for my worship, so that the whole world might be filled with my glory. Israel was also to be commemorating the action of God in the Passover. As they remembered this Passover through a meal and through this feast of unleavened bread, their they are remembering a particular action that we read about in verse 23. You look there in verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. What does God accomplish through the Passover? New life? Yes. His way of salvation? Yes. His way of redemption? Yes. 
but also Passover brings about his loving protection. Verse 23 reiterates that the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. The death plague was accomplished by God. It's undeniably tied to him. He is the one who was going through the land. The transcendent Lord was now imminent as he passed through Egypt. And his imminence meant judgment on the firstborn or it meant rescue for those who were covered by the blood of the Passover lamb with that blood on their doors. And what happens when the Lord sees the blood? He passes over the doors. It's such a passing over that's described in the next breath as a protection. You see that when he passes over the door, what? And will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. There is the Lord's protection of his people. By his very presence, he is there. He is protecting. He is watching over. And it says he would not allow, or it could be said, he would not give them over to the destroyer. This could be read in two ways. It could read that the Lord would not give his people over to destruction. That is an impersonal way of saying it. Or, it could be that this is a title for someone. So like it's translated here, not allow the destroyer to enter into the house. That would be a personal way of saying it. And I think that personal way is the way that it is intended. And so it comes with a question then, doesn't it? Is this question plaguing your mind? Who is the destroyer? Who is God talking about here? Well, who could it be? Some might think this is a demon or one of the fallen angels under Satan's authority. After all, doesn't Satan and his demons want to bring about destruction? Well, that could be, but I think there is a better suggestion that this destroyer most likely is the angel of the Lord. Would the angel of the Lord do something like this? Actually, he would. If you look in 1 Chronicles, go over in your Bibles, a few books, 1 Chronicles chapter 21. 1 Chronicles 21, chapter 21, verse 15. 1 Chronicles 21, 15. And God sent the angel to Jerusalem to what? To destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and he relented of the calamity and he said to the angel who was working what? Was working destruction, it is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Now I think it is a clear picture that the angel of the Lord was bringing about this destruction that was taking place there as judgment upon David for his census that he sinfully took and upon the whole nation of Israel because of David's sin. And how even there we see his protection through his presence. And how also we see here 
this destroyer, who I take it to be as the angel of the Lord, was not allowed to enter into the houses to strike the Israelites who had covered their door frames with the blood of the Lamb. And here we have a most glorious and yet at the same time a very sobering thought. What a glorious thought that God would by His grace and mercy protect us. That it would be His protection upon us. And remember how we are protected? We are protected by His presence, but we're also protected by Him from Himself. He is the one who's bringing about the judgment and the punishment And yet He protects us. He saves us. He rescues us. He's watching over us. And how also now, because of Jesus Christ, the final Passover Lamb, God has protected us. He's protected us from final death. He's protected us from eternal separation from Him. He's protected us from His wrath and judgment. He is the one who has cleansed us so that we're able to be in the very presence of this holy God. And what's more, Jesus Christ is the one who has ascended into heaven so that the Holy Spirit now has come upon God's people, God's very presence that now indwells all believers. We are those who are protected by the Lord's presence. As we think about the Lord's Passover and all that we've talked about, we cannot and must not deny that the Lord's Passover has a prominent place in the life of the church. So the Lord's Passover, everything that we've been studying here in Exodus 12, has a prominent place in the life of the church, in the life of this church. And we cannot escape that, and we cannot and must not look past that. We can't say, well, Exodus 12, it's for the Old Testament, it's for the Israelites, it's not really for us. No, it's for us. We realize that the life of the church is built upon the foundation of the Lord's Passover, that the Lord has orchestrated things in such a way that we cannot get past this or get beyond this, but that The Lord's Passover is an integral part of our life together as Christ's church? Where do we see that? A few ways this morning. We see the uh, Passover as being an integral part of the life of the church. First, the Lord's Passover is the foundation upon which family faithfulness is built. The Lord's Passover is the foundation upon which family faithfulness is built. The Israelites commemorated this event down throughout the ages, and the Lord anticipates what would happen in the households, the families who held this Passover meal in their house. It would cause their children to ask questions. Verse 26, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. What was happening? The faith of the fathers and the faith of the parents were being passed down to their children. What was the Lord establishing? 
he was establishing that it was through the family that the faith was to be passed down throughout the generations. So parents were passing on the faith to their children, and their children were to pass on the faith to their children, and so on and so forth. They were to hear firsthand from their parents what God had done. They were to hear about God's redemption from their parents. They were to see the parents prepare the meal. They were to participate in the meal. And there it was before the children's eyes that the Passover was reenacted year after year after year for them to see. And so what is God saying? God is saying, parents, you are the main spiritual influencers in the life of your children. You get that? Parents, you are the main spiritual influencers in the lives of your children. The passing on of the faith comes through you. Now, does that mean that every child of yours will be saved? No. But, this is what I believe, parents are the normal means that God uses to pass on the faith. Parents are the normal means that God uses in the lives of children. In showing them the faith, in telling them about the faith, it's the parents. Now, have children come to faith other ways? Yes. But the normal means, the normal means is through the parents. And I think you see that repeated again and again and again in God's Word. Parents, no one else has that responsibility. You are the ones proclaiming the faith once for all delivered to the saints to your own children. You cannot and must not outsource this responsibility. You cannot hand it off to someone else that you think is more qualified. If you have the title father or mother, you have been qualified with that title to be the one who is proclaiming the gospel to your children. And what would the Lord say when he holds you accountable for how you led your family to Christ? What would we say? I was too busy. They didn't want to listen to me. I thought it would be better if I just let them figure it out on their own. Well, I, I brought them to church. Bringing your children to church is a good thing. But bringing your children to church alone is not an excuse that you can use to get out of your responsibility as a father or a mother. Your children need you. They don't need me. They don't need 
a youth minister, all that we do is we reinforce what you are already doing in the home. They should hear the same gospel come out of my mouth that has come out of your mouth countless times in their ears. It's the Lord's Passover, which is a passing along of the faith, which continues to happen today. And so we must be committed to passing on this faith to the future generations, which happens in families. So the, pass, the Lord's Passover is built, or the Lord's Passover is the foundation upon which family faithfulness is built, but it's also the foundation upon which church discipline is built. The Lord's Passover is the foundation upon which church discipline is built. Remember the cutting off of those people who ate leavened bread during the festival of unleavened bread? Well, Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians. If you turn there in your Bibles with me for a second, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians chapter five. First verse, listen to what Paul says. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. So what's happening? Okay, there's this man who is having these relations with his father's wife, most likely his stepmother. And Paul is saying, this is not good. This is, this is not tolerant. You should not keep this man in your midst and think that it's okay. And then what does he say in verse 6? Because they're boasting, look how loving we are. Look how accepting we are. Look how inclusive we are. Do you not know, verse 6, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. So what did he say? You are unleavened bread, church. You are holy. You are set apart for God. One who is persistent and consistent and unrepentant of sin. Who wants to remain in their sin. That sin will spread like yeast. It will affect the whole, the whole group, everybody. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be what you really are, a new lump. For you are unleavened bread. And now, the kicker, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. That's why we do it, because Jesus Christ paid the price for sinners upon the cross. Do you see it there? Very explicitly, Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. He is the final and full fulfillment of the Passover. He is the lamb that we need, who cleanses us, who saves us, who has sacrificed and died on the cross for us. He is the one that we live for. 
and that we follow. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with unleavened bread of what? Sincerity and truth. That's what our lives are built upon. They're built upon the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, and the fact that we are unleavened bread as people who are set apart by him, people who are full of sincerity and full of truth. Why would we ever practice church discipline? It's not because we want to. It's because we realize how precious Jesus Christ's sacrifice as the Passover lamb is. And we do not want to bring reproach upon what he has done for us. And allowing unrepentant sin, tolerating this kind of sin, only casts a blemish on Christ. And so the Lord's Passover is the foundation upon which church discipline is built. But finally, the Lord's Passover is the foundation upon which the Lord's Supper is built. The Passover is the foundation upon which the Lord's Supper is built. This is where a transformation has happened because we're no longer to commemorate or celebrate the Lord's Passover. It's been transformed into our celebration and commemoration through the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table or Communion. Think about it. It's no coincidence that blood and bread were the focus of the Passover so that now our focus is the same, the blood and the bread, the blood that represents Christ's, uh, or the, the, the blood that is Christ's and the body that is Christ's, which is represented in the cup and the bread. And so now Jesus commands us, Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, do this in remembrance of me. We are now celebrating the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ, and we're looking forward to the glory that awaits us, which will be ushered in when Christ returns. It's this meal that we are taking together as the unified body of Christ. It's not a meal for those who do not know Christ. It's for those who know Him and are unified to Him as His holy body, as those who are now this new batch without yeast a purified people. And so we repeat the Lord's Supper. And as often as we eat that bread and drink uh, that blood, we proclaim his death until he returns to remind us of our union in him, to remind us that we are Christ's body, his church. And that both of these meals, both the Passover and now the Lord's Supper, point us forward to another meal. Let's look there for one moment. Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verses 6 through 10. This is the meal where it's all leading up to. There's the Passover meal, there's now the Lord's Supper, but it's looking forward to this final meal. Revelation 19, 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the roar of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. Why? Why do we do that? For the marriage of the Lamb has come. For that time when we are finally and fully as Christ's bride united to him who is our husband. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. 
It was granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to what? Invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There it is, that final meal where we, all of Christ's followers, will sit down with him and eat with him and he with us, and we will know him, and we will see his radiant face, and we'll, we, we will finally be one with him, and we will worship him for all that he is. Does the Passover have any place in your life? Does the Passover lead you to look forward to this meal? Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you think, I've never been invited. I'm inviting you today. Come to Christ. Put your faith and trust in Him, the Passover Lamb who was sacrificed to cleanse you and save you from your sins. Turn from your sin. Repent of your sin. Believe in Him. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Come to Him. Eat with Him. And He with you. See Him. And know His glory. Father, we pray that your word would work in us this morning and lead us to look forward to that marriage supper of the Lamb where all who are bought with that price will experience great joy and be glad as they eat that meal with Jesus Christ. We look forward to that day. We long for that day. We cannot wait for that day, we say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. But until that day, until that day, may the Lord's Passover still have a prominent place in our life. Because our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, was slain and rose again from the dead to save us. We pray this all in his name. Amen.